Guess what we're going to talk about today? <laughs> Not what you thought. Okay. You know, I'm glad you're here this morning. We're uh, in this fourth week of a series we've been doing this summer. Uh, don't you wish that we lived in a perfect world? Yeah, if we lived in a perfect world, you know, people wouldn't be obnoxious on phones. Uh, they, their computers would always work. And... Um, People wouldn't throw paper airplanes and it would be obnoxious either. You know, um, someone uh, gave me, or I read online some definitions, actually some people gave me some definitions of what it would be like to live in a perfect world. So uh, maybe I'll share these with you, okay? If we lived in a perfect world, someone said chocolate would have no calories. How many aim into that? Yeah, chocolate would have no calories. Yeah, yeah, okay. You can respond. Okay, this is second service, I know. And you got, actually, first service is more responsive than second. I thought you guys were even woken up by now, you know? Anyway, okay, maybe you had not had your coffee. Uh, secondly, if we lived in a perfect world, procrastination would be honored as a virtue. <laughs> That's a great one, you know? Uh, if we lived in a perfect world, it's obvious it was a parent, said teenagers would rather clean their rooms than talk on the phone. <laughs> if we lived in a perfect world. Uh, if we lived in a perfect world, politicians would pay us taxes. Yeah, I mean, you guys can clap or anything you want to for these. Okay. Uh, if we lived in a perfect world, uh, children on trips would say, isn't riding in the car fun? And then they'd go to sleep if we lived in a perfect world. With vacations and everybody taking kids, I'm sure this is, that would be perfect, you know. Or, however, as other parents said this, they also said, if we lived in a perfect world, children would not develop vocal cords until after they move away from home. And then one lady obviously said this. They said, if we lived in a perfect world, men would go through labor. <laughs> oh, some ladies, okay, clapping about that, okay. And, and these are girls who've never been through labor, okay? I mean, God, they don't even know what we're dealing with yet, you know? I, at least I was in the room. I saw it happen, okay? Um, so, <laughs> okay. The problem is what? We don't live in a perfect world. And because of that, sometimes we... Anger spills out. Uh, we've been in a series talking about relationships, and we've talked about relationships based on Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, and it says this, uh, this is a new, new Living Translation, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. And then we began to talk about these fruit four weeks ago, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now we're in week four, which deals with patience, and you're going like, I thought this was about anger. Well, yeah, it is. Because uh, in Proverbs, I love what it says. Proverbs 14, 29 says, Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Now, the Greek word for patience is the word, the Greek, the language, the Bible was originally written, uh, the New Testament in Greek, and the Greek word for patience is translated patience here is a word that's called microthumos. Microthumos. You don't have to remember that, okay? But the reason it's important is because the word micro or macro means long or slow, and the word thumos means heat or anger or wrath. And patience basically means this, slow to get angry. Patience means, scripturally, slow to get angry. See, anger is not wrong. God gave us the capacity to be angry, and if you don't ever get angry, you're probably either a vegetable or a robot or a Vulcan, and only if you're a Star Trek fan would you understand the last one. But um, live long and prosper. Um, some of you are going like, what? Okay, you're not Star Trek fans. Okay, like I am. Okay, did Jesus ever get angry? Yes. 
If you read scripture, Jesus got angry. And uh, see, God has given us the capacity to be angry, but it must be managed. That's the deal. Slow to anger. Patience is slow to anger. Anger that's managed in a real way. So today, guess what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about, in regard to patience, we're going to talk about some keys to managing your anger. Some keys, some biblical keys to managing your anger. And um, let me just get right into it. We've got seven. If you've got uh, the outline in the bulletin, you like to fill it with notes. Some people are going like crazy last service. And uh, one lady comes to me, look at my notes. And I'm going like, these are great notes. I don't, you know, she got stuff written everywhere, you know, back, front, everywhere. So if you're that kind of person, this is the time to start, okay? Because we're going to actually start filling in blanks here. Okay, number one, the first key to managing your anger is this. You've got to resolve to manage it. You got to resolve to manage it. The first thing you have to do is resolve to manage it. You got to quit making excuses and accept responsibility that you are angry. Um, you have far more control over your anger than you think you do. For instance, have you ever, let me shut, prove it to you, have you ever been angry having a conversation? It's a heated conversation with someone like your wife, your kids, somebody, your husband, whoever it is, and then the phone rings. And you're going, ah, you know, and then the phone rings, and what do you do? You pick up. Hello? You're so calm. All of a sudden, you just kind of turn off your anger. You know, you've done that, right? Don't poke or look or anything. Just, just admit you've done that sometimes. Or even maybe closer to home this morning. Before you even came to church this morning, you were having a disagreement with someone. Maybe you were angry at your kids and you were giving them a hard time. Or you were talking, to, you know, you were just like angry, angry, angry. And you drop and you, you talk about it all the way to church and you get out of the car and you walk in the door and what do you do? How are you doing today? I'm just great. I'm just great. Liar. You know, the thing is, is this, we can control, we can manage our anger. You don't have to let it just blow off, you know, just blow off the top. So the key is to, to resolve, your, it, the key to resolve is to manage it. You got to decide in advance before you get angry how you're going to handle it. Ecclesiastes 7 9, I'm going to be using a lot of verses today. And I'll tell you up front if you want to write down the references, that's great. But if you actually want all the references in a sheet with all the things filled in, you can either text me or email me. And I've got a copy of it with all the verses and all the points. Okay? So don't, if you like to take notes, though, this is the time to keep writing, 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 writing. Okay? So, and you can text me at. Uh, my telephone number, I've actually given this before, and I don't mind giving it out, 309-261-0236. And you can text me and say, Bill, I'd like a copy of that. Or email me at Bill, B-I-L-L, at greatoaks, with an S, cc.org. Okay? Now, you, didn't write, you can write those down, and then you can give me feedback and say, that was the worst sermon I've ever heard or whatever. Anyway, um, don't send that, please, because um, that might make me angry. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 7 9 says, Control your temper, for your anger labels you a fool. Isn't that a great verse? You know, it's, if you want to be known as a fool, just let it all fly out with your anger. Just have uncontrolled anger in your life, and you'll be known as a fool. That's what it's saying. So, the first thing is you have to decide in advance to resolve your anger, to manage it. Number two, need to realize the cost of uncontrolled anger. If we're going to manage, if we're going to manage our anger in, a, in appropriate ways, you've got to realize the cost of uncontrolled anger. Uh, I love in Proverbs 20, 29, 22, it says, A hot-tempered man starts fights and gets into all kind of trouble. You know, that, that's true, right? You know people that are hot-tempered and they just fly off the handle all the time? 
And they get in all kind of trouble with it. They say, things, they say things they shouldn't say and they wish later they hadn't said them. You see, you're less likely to get angry if you realize what it's going to cost you before you do it. Because there's always a price tag to anger, uncontrolled anger. And the Bible is very specific about the damage that uncontrolled anger does. It says, and there were so many verses I could have chosen, but I just chose a couple. Uh, one's in Proverbs 14, 17 that says, People with hot tempers do foolish things. That's what happens if you've got a hot temper. If you can't control your anger, you do foolish things. And then it talks about relationships. And in Proverbs eleven twenty nine, it says, The fool that provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. I mean, that's how far it can go. Not only can it cause damage in your relationship, it can destroy relationships. Unresolved, unmanaged anger in your life. And if you don't get this in control, it can destroy relationships. Now, parents, let me say this to you real quick. Um, this is free, okay? When we motivate with, uh, our kids with anger, you can get short-term results. You can. Yell at your kids, they'll do what you want them to do, short-term. But what happens is they do it out of fear. In the long-term relationship, you'll always lose, though, because it, anger always produces other anger back. It produces apathy and resentment and alienation. It produces all these things. So you've got to understand yeah, you might get some short-term results, but that's not long-term. It's not going to work very well. So the second thing we need to do is realize the cost of uncontrolled anger. Now, some of us are going like, man, Bill's going through these things fast today because we're going to be finished in like 15 minutes. Don't count on it. Okay. Normal length sermon. Okay. Uh, now, the third thing is this. If we're going to manage our anger, we need to reflect before reacting. Reflect before reacting. Um, delay is a tremendous tool and a great remedy in anger. And not talking about, uh, about your anger, saving it for weeks and months and years is not healthy. And, and, that's, and what happens, it causes resentment and it doesn't work. But you've got to delay, you just don't immediately, when you're angry, immediately respond. You need to delay it in some sense. Uh, Ephesians kind of gives us, in Ephesians it talks about a verse that you've probably heard many times in regard to relationships. Don't ever go to bed angry. That's simply saying, you know, if you get angry... Don't just let it linger forever and ever, but delay it to the time it's appropriate. And that means it may have to stay up all night talking, okay? Maybe that's happened in your relationships before. But when you swallow your anger, your stomach keeps score. That's where ulcers come from. That's where anger and resentment comes from. And if you do, you internalize your anger and it always hurts you. But anger delay gives it time to cool down. I love this verse in Proverbs 29, 11. It says this, the stupid man gives free reign to his anger. The Bible is so straightforward. A stupid man gives free rein uh, to his anger, but a wise man waits and, let, and let, waits and lets it grow cool. You didn't know the word cool was in the Bible, did you? That's cool. You know, it really is. I'm, I'm glad that kind of language is in there. It's kind of like, you know, it's, the modern translation would be a stupid man gives free reign to his anger, but a wise man chills out. It's kind of what it talks about. Okay. You just got to calm down. You gotta, if you're going to manage your anger in an appropriate way, you, you got to put your, your don't, don't put your mouth in gear until you make sure your mind's in motion because it'll cause all kind of problems. Now, do we just stop and do nothing during the delay? No, this is what you do. What do you do during the delay when you're waiting to deal with the anger? You need to ask yourself one question. One question that'll help you to deal with anger in an appropriate way. You got to ask this question. Why am I angry? Why am I angry? In the delay, you got to ask yourself a hard question. Why am I angry? you got to stop and think, what's making me so mad? Because whenever you get angry, it's always the result of one of three things. Number one, 
We get angry when we hurt. We get angry when we hurt. <laughs> How many of you have ever done carpentry work and you were doing something and you hit your, ham, your, your hand or the finger with a, with a hammer? Anybody here ever done that? Anybody that's ever used a hammer has done that, okay? Uh, and, okay? Now, the funny thing is this. The funny thing is this. When you do that, what is your immediate response? Bless you, Jesus. That's what you say, right? <laughs> no! I mean, I've done it, and, you know, it's like, ah, you know, and I just get angry. Like, what am I getting angry at? The hammer? The nail? You know, what am I getting angry? No, I'm getting angry, and I don't know why. I'm angry because I'm hurt. When you're hurt, you, res- you get angry. In a relationship, when somebody's been hurt, guess what happens? They get angry. So, so often, one of the things we have to deal with is when we get angry, we ask ourselves, number one, why am I angry? And then the first response might be is I'm hurt. In the relationship, I'm hurt in some way. Number two, we get angry when we get frustrated. When we get frustrated. I don't know about you, but, you know, when I just can't control things and things are not working the way I want them to, I get frustrated, I get angry. I mean, have you ever noticed that uh, when the weather is hot and humid, everybody gets irritable? You know, is that why major league um, uh, uh, managers uh, always, you know, get angry? It's always in the summer, it's always hot, it's always humid, and they're out there near another, they go up and bump each other and they kick dirt on each other and yell and scream, is that, no, I don't think that, they're frustrated because things aren't going their way. And the reality is, is that we get angry because we get frustrated, it, it, we get irritable, and we have to ask ourselves, is the reason I'm angry is because I'm frustrated? Or the third reason that we get angry is, is, is even more common, it's fear. Fear is the third cause. See, it's kind of like this. When you push an animal back into a corner and he becomes afraid, what does he do? He strikes out. Now, that, that's, that's true, of, I think, of every animal ever his, even my dog. I have an 11, or no, I have an 11 year old. I'm trying to remember, he's 12 or 14 pounds. He's a massive dog. Um, Shih Tzu, okay? This little tiny furry dog. He's the most worthless dog as far as guarding anything you've ever seen. Matter of fact, this time of year, he's, he's so frightened that, you know, he's frightened of two things thunderstorms. Every time it storms, he runs to the basement, goes in a corner, and cowers, okay? And guess what he's been frightened about the last couple of nights? Fireworks. Oh, man. 8 o'clock last night, all you guys over in, I'm in Coventry, I live in Fondle Farms across the road. All you guys in Coventry that spend thousands of dollars a year in your fireworks, and, you know, and you're and like, on your own fireworks show going on, which happens every year, and, and you're going on like 8 o'clock it starts, man. And it's like my dog ran to the basement. He was down there cowering in the corner. He went into his, in, into his uh, uh, little um, place where he goes down there, and he was down there. Now, that dog is the most cowardly dog I've ever met. But... I can guarantee if he felt afraid enough and he was in the corner, he would bite you. Because when you're afraid, you get angry and you lash out. See, when somebody gets angry at you, rather than focusing on the anger, focus on which which one of these three is it really is. Because it's easier to deal with hurt and frustration and fear than it is to deal with anger. Always look behind the cause and see what is causing the real anger. Once you do that, then you're ready to resolve it. So that's number three. Now, number four. I love this one. Release anger, my anger appropriately. Release your anger appropriately. Ephesians 4.26, it says this. This is from the Good News Translation. If you become angry, do not let your anger lead you into sin. 
Now let me ask a question. Is this verse saying that it is possible to be angry and not sin? Yep. I believe it's very clear. It's possible to be angry. So sin, the sin is not the anger. The sin is what does it lead you to do? How do you lead you to respond? So managing anger is important. There's helpful ways to be angry and there are harmful ways to be angry. One of the ways that people let anger lead them into sin is by denying it. By simply denying it. For some reason, we don't like to admit it when we're angry. Why? Because we think it means we're out of control. And we always want to be in control. We want to look good. Many people, especially Christians, often deny their anger. And they simply say, well, you know, I'm, not a, I'm going to deny my anger. I'm going to push it down. And that just means I'm patient. No, that's not what the definition of anger is. Anger is, uh, the definition of patient is slow to anger. Not the absence of anger. That's not patience. That's if, you, if you're angry and you deny it and you push it down, that's called lying. Lying to yourself, lying to others. Pa- patience is not pushing it down, just pretending it doesn't exist. See, anger is not necessarily a sin. It's how you release it, how you let it go, how you let it direct your, your life. Most people tend to express their anger in ways that when they do it, they end up farther away from their goal than what they started with. That's the inappropriate way to deal with anger. Blowing up never produces change. It only produces alienation, apathy, and more anger back. And I'm convinced that you can get what you want most out of relationships if you learn to respond to your anger appropriately. Now, I don't have time today to talk about all these things. You know, I could give you all this incredible wisdom because I was a psychology minor in school, and I know just enough to be helpful but not really helpful a lot. That's what minors do and stuff, you know. So uh, that's kind of the deal. But let me give you a couple of resources if you want to learn more about this deal, about how to, how to deal with anger and, and, and release it appropriately. There's two books that deal with relationships and anger and a lot of other things. One of them is a book by Gary Smalley called The Language of Love. The Language of Love deals with the whole thing of how to communicate in your relationship in a positive way. And it deals with that area of anger as one of the things it does. And number two is a book by another person uh, that's a really good book I read several years ago called Make Anger Your Ally. It's by a guy named Neil Warren. Neil Warren. Two good books that deal with this whole thing, and you can learn a lot more and go into a lot more detail about the appropri- how, to appropriately, um, how to appropriately release your anger. Now, I love what it says, and going back to the verse we talked about earlier, a ver- Proverbs 29, 11 says this, A fool gives fi- full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. <sighs> Some psychologists, let me just be honest, teach a thing that I think is not right and not biblical. And the way they say the way to deal with your anger is, and I don't know if they still use the term because I've been out of the field for a long time, okay? It's called ventilation. Ventilation. Ventilation is kind of like this. You know, if I'm angry, what I need to do to deal with it, I just kind of emotionally vomit. I know that sounded great this morning, right? You know, emotionally vomit. Just get it all out there, you know, just get rid of it. And then I felt a whole lot better, and I've got it all out of me. There's actually a therapy that I don't know if they still even practice it, but it used to be called primal scream, okay? You can imagine what that is. You know, if I want to get my anger out, I just got to like scream, ah! you know, just scream like, you know, you do it for a long time though. It takes longer than that. Just get all out of your system. It's kind of like you just emotionally get it out. If I just scream out my anger, all the things that were done wrong to me will be fine. There's only one problem with that. We don't have a bucket full of anger. We've got a factory. 
we keep producing it. We have the ability to produce more and more angry. Study after study, and the Bible teaches very clearly that aggression causes more aggression. As a parent, if I have outbursts with my kids, guess what I'm modeling for them? They'll learn to respond with outbursts. See, we're all irritated by different things. And the thing is this, the thing is this, is we all have different things that irritate us. And sometimes they just don't go away because we have differences. Let me give you some examples, okay? I love these examples, by the way. These are fun. Um, Just be honest. Don't raise your hands and don't point to anybody, okay? Um, When somebody in your family makes you late, does, does that make you angry? Don't bump them either, okay? When somebody in your family makes you late, does that make you angry? If for some strange reason, a lot of times what happens is a very organized, always on time person marries a person who's not very organized, never on time. And you know what that's called? Irritation. And irritation, if, we left, if you don't deal with it, can make you angry. And we can be this fact, it keeps going, it keeps going. You know, truly, when I have premarital counsel with folks and we go through the whole process, one of the things I always say is when they sit down next to me, I look at them and I say, look at the other person. They look at them and go, oh, they're perfect. And I'm going like, no, they're not. No, I don't say. Uh, I say, you know, that person is sitting next to you. If they never changed one bit, not one bit, would you marry, still marry them? And they'll, they'll be, at, at that point in their relationship, they're like, oh, of course I would. If they knew everything they were going to encounter over the next 30 years, you know? Because the deal is, you're marrying a person who's imperfect. And they're marrying a person who's imperfect. And you're having a relationship with a person who's imperfect. And if you're a parent, you have imperfect kids and you're an imperfect parent. Right? We've talked about this every week. I just want to encourage you so much. You know, I'm, I'm a realist. But the deal is, is so we have these irritations between different people. Now, I've got to be honest with you. Um, the, making, the, the, the first illustration, when somebody in your family makes you late, doesn't make you angry. That doesn't deal with my family. Both my wife and I are usually on time or early. But I've got to have to have a confession here. Okay. Let me give you another primary. When someone in your family doesn't remember what you told them, does that make you angry? <laughs> I've learned to write down everything. And also, I told my wife this, I said, honey, you know, I'm very focused. This is my excuse. I'm very focused. If I'm watching TV or I'm reading the book and you talk to me, make sure you come around, look at me in the face and tell me what you want to tell me. Just don't tell me from the side because what will happen is I will not hear what you say. It's not that I don't love you. It's not that I don't care, but I'm very focused. I think most men are that way. I had a couple of men in the first service go, hallelujah, you know, and I'm going like, wow, man, you guys are really, you know, into this thing. And the thing is, the thing is, so often what happens is, is we all, let's be honest, we all respond to different irritations in different ways. Some of us blow up and some of us clam up. Some of us are skunks and some of us are turtles. A a skunk is somebody, when they get angry, they let everybody know. Right? And a turtle is somebody who pulls back into their shell and harbors it there. They're both bad responses. They're both bad responses. So how do you respond to anger in an appropriate way? Well, you've got four possible options, and the first three don't work. The first one is this. How do you respond to anger? Number one, don't repress it. Don't repress it, R-E-P-R-E-S-S. Repression is is when you say, I'm going to stuff it. I'm I'm angry. You realize you're angry, but I'm just going to swallow it 
And, you know, eventually it'll just maybe go away. Does that work? No. No. The second response to anger, possible option, is don't suppress it. S-U-P-P-R-E-S-S. That's when you try to ignore it. It's different than repressing it. Repressing it, you say, yeah, I got it, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stuff it. The second one means you, you try to ignore it. Let me tell you something. The fact is this. Repression or suppression leads to depression. When you stuff things down in your life, the number one case of depression is stuffed anger. So often people come into my office, and I'm sure the other counselors have dealt with this as well, and uh, the people will say, I'm so depressed, and after listening to them for a while, I want to say, you know, we need to redefine what your problem is. Your problem is not depression. Your problem is anger. You're angry at your wife. You're angry at your husband. You're with your kids, with your boss, with somebody. And then they'll say, like, well, it's not appropriate for a Christian to be, and this is what I'm dealing with Christians, appropriate to be angry, to let it out. So they try to feel like they have to repress it or suppress it, and suppression leads to depression. And a lot of you who may be dealing with, and I'm sure in a congregation this size, a lot of you who are dealing with depression in your life really need to ask the question, <laughs> what am I angry about? What am I angry about? A third option would seem to be a good option, but it's really not because it's, it's, it's done in the wrong way. The third option is don't express it. Don't express it. Some people th- say, well, I'm just going to let it all hang out, or I'm just going to tell it how it is. I'm just going to, as soon as something happens, you just kind of let it go. And they blow up, or they're sarcastic, and there's, there's many ways to express anger in inappropriate ways. Some people are powders. You know what a powder is, right? Any of you got little kids? And they're powders, and they got this lip thing going, you know, that's the way they act. Some people, adults, have perfected pouting. They're powders. That's not a great way. Some people are manipulators. They become sarcastic or cynical. And that's the way they deal with it. They, they, think it's, they, they try to make jokes about it, but they're cynical jokes and they're sarcastic jokes about what's going on, and they, and they really hurt the relationship. Some people simply try to drown their anger. They drown it in affairs or, or alcohol or drugs or whatever. We have all these different ways that are inappropriate to express our anger, but we don't need to express. The only way that works is you need to confess it. You need to confess it. And confess it is different than expressing it because confession deals with three different three steps. Number one, I need to confess it to myself. Admit it to yourself that you're angry. It's all right. Folks, Christians aren't people that are perfect, that are people that are saved by the grace of God. And we still live in an imperfect world, and we still get irritated at things. How many of you will admit you were ever irritated about anything? I got both hands up. Okay? Okay. And if you don't admit that, you're dead. Or lying. Because we all have small irritations in our life. Just, just to be honest with you. You know that to be true. And if we don't deal with them in appropriate ways, it leads to, to all kinds of problems. So you've got to admit it to yourself. And you have to ask yourself the question, what am I angry about? Is it because I'm hurting or afraid or frustrated? You have to ask yourself that question. Secondly, you need to admit it to God. You need to admit it to yourself first. You can confess it to yourself, and then you can admit it to God. God, I'm mad. I don't like a situation. Some of you think that you can't talk to God that way. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. How big is your God? Do you think God knows what you think before you say it? That's the God I look in Scripture. 
So, I mean, just saying it to God is just being honest. Honest to God. And we need to do that. We need to be honest with him about how we feel and how the, the struggle that we're going through. God, I'm mad. I don't like the situation. She or, he, she or he irritates me. It's all right. Admit it. And finally, after you've admitted it to yourself and you reflected upon it and asked yourself the question, why am I, I, you know, why am I angry? If you admit it to God, finally you come and you admit it to the person that you're angry with. Just level with him and say in a, in a loving way, I'm hurt, I'm frustrated, I'm irritated, I'm afraid, I'm afraid of losing something in this relationship, I don't want to lose it, I feel worth fighting for. Whatever it is, you need to, but after you reflect, after you think through these things and you admit the, the reality of, the, of your pain, you need to do that. Now, if you have, a, I say these things this morning because they deal with things we do with day-to-day problems. Now, if you've had a habitual pattern of dealing with anger in an inappropriate way, then you're going to need to practice uh, some things over a long term to change your lifestyle from one of anger to one of love and one of patience. So the last three I'm going to deal with real quickly here, just real quickly here as we close, are things that deal with the long-term problems we've had. The first four I dealt with are things we deal with on our anger on a day-to-day basis. But if you have this habitual pattern of being angry and not dealing with it, these are three things you need to do. Number one, you need to repattern your mind. Repattern your mind. It says in, in, in uh, Romans 12 too, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Bible makes very clear this. The way you think determines the way you feel. And the way you feel determines the way you act. So if I'm angry, it's because I feel angry. And if I feel angry, it's because I'm choosing to think angry thoughts. And if I want to change my behavior or my feelings, I've got to change the way I think. I've got to reboot, reboot the computer called my mind. And your beliefs control your behavior. It's so important. So, how do you begin to do that? Let me tell you something. Most of us, how we, get, how we learn anger is by living in an environment that promotes wrong ways of dealing with anger. How many of us will go home and watch TV and watch a movie or a TV show or something? I can guarantee that 40 to 50 to 60% of all TV shows deal with, ang- with anger in inappropriate ways. Probably higher than that. You know, probably 90% of shows. I'm being nice, okay? Being nice. TV teaches us this. Get angry, use a gun. Get angry, blow them up. Get angry, curse them out. Get angry. Yell back. Get angry. Seek revenge. Tell me how many movie plots are exactly that. See, we're programmed with that over and over, and we start to act that way. You need to repattern your mind with the truth, not with lies. Because the truth sets you free. That's what Jesus said. So, let me share with you a couple of things you can do to, uh, to do that. One is you can begin to look at what Scripture says about this. Like I said, all these, I have all these points. If you wrote these scriptures down, take and memorize these dozen scriptures that are in here that deal with the truth about how we respond to anger in appropriate ways. And if you need that, once again, send me an email, text, and I'll send them to you, all of them, on a sheet. And you can put them in your phone, on your, on your computer, a screensaver. You know, that would be exciting. And, and whatever you want to do, but just memorize. Look at them over and over. Repat in your mind. Read them and learn them and memorize them. Okay? Another thing you can do 
Another thing you can do is repattern your mind in regard to how you, how you think about your relationship in this world. Um, there's two chapters in Scripture, both that talk about finding your security in God rather than finding your security, security in fame, fortune, relationships, things like that. And the two chapters are Ephesians chapter 1 and Romans chapter 8. Ephesians chapter 1 and Romans chapter 8. If you want to read two, ver- two passages of Scripture over and over, it won't take you long. And I encourage you to read it in a translation. It's easy. Today, a lot of the Scriptures I'll put up here are in uh, very easily understood things like NLT, uh, Good News Translation. I even use some uh, Living Bible translations today as well. Um, and the thing is, is that you need to re- understand what it says. Read Ephesians chapter 1, Romans chapter 8. Because the important thing is that angry people are insecure people. And you begin to read those chapters and you'll see what God says about you and you'll start feeling better and your irritability reduces because your insecurity is lowered. You know, you pick up a little baby that's crying and once they're, they're held and they feel secure, what happens? They stop crying. kind of works. So often we're like little babies that are, that are crying and we're, and we're, we're hurt and we're, ang- and we're anxious and we feel insecure and we just need to understand that in Christ we can be secure. Even though we live in a broken world, it's the same principle. A second thing we need to do, not only repattern our mind, but we need to relate to people who are patient. Relate to people who are patient. Proverbs 22, do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. You know what it's saying? You hang out with turkeys, you become a turkey. That's what it says. I mean, if you want to, if you want to learn, if you want to get away from, if you have this pattern of anger in your life, guess what? You're probably hanging out with people that are like that, right? They get angry all the time, and they and they and they deal with it in inappropriate ways. Is anger contagious? Yes, anger is hugely contagious. It's infectious. It's highly infectious. And if you're serious about breaking this pattern in your life of responding to anger in inappropriate ways, you need to hang out with some people who've got it together in this area. Not perfect people, because you won't find any. But people who, at least in this area of life, are trying to do the things together. That's why I keep telling you, be part of a small group. You need to connect with people. It's great that you sit in rows on Sunday mornings and hear me or whoever else is talking talk. And we worship God and pray. But it's even better. You heard me say this. It's even better to sit in circles where you can talk to people and you can live life together and you can encourage one another. We're going to start small groups up again uh, in the fall, in September. And we're going to start a whole new series in September called Transformed. And, and, and we're going to have a new, another group for people who have never been in groups before called Starting Point. And we're going to have these types of things that's, that's, that's really good because you need to be in a circle where you can listen to people that struggle with the same things you do and, and encourage you to do the right things, the things that God has wanted us to do. And that's what the pur- one of the purposes of small groups are. You need to relate to people who are patient if you're serious about breaking the pattern in your life. The, see, the way you express your anger is not in your genes, your genetic makeup. You learned it. And you learn by growing up and watching other people. And if anger is a learned response, then guess what the good news is? It can be unlearned. It can be repatterned. You don't have to go the rest of your life being manipulated by your moods or or, or the rest of your life being controlled by your feelings. You can learn to be patient when when everything in in, in you wants to be impatient. Finally, number seven, finally the last one. We'll close up here and sing a song and go home. Number seven, rely on Christ's help. Rely on Christ's help. 
Romans 15, 5. May God, now read this, may God who gives you patience. Where did it come from? I conjured it up. I just worked real hard. I got really, no, 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 no. No, God gives you patience, steadiness, and encouragement. May he help you to live in complete harmony with each other. And this is the key. Each with the attitude of Christ toward the other. Man, if we had the attitude of Christ toward everybody, the way that Christ has the attitude of life, if we had that same attitude toward everybody else, you think the world would be a better place? I can guarantee it. Guarantee it. See, would you like to have patience and steadiness and encouragement in your relationships? Would you like to be, live in complete harmony with other, each other? The answer, to the, the answer is that last phrase, each of us with the attitude of Christ. Now, how does Jesus Christ help me control my anger? Here's how he does it. Jesus Christ helps me with my anger by dealing with the root cause. He deals with the real reason that I'm angry. If the root cause of your anger is you hurt, Jesus can replace your hurt with his love. If you're rejected as a kid and you went through problems, you may have been unloved, ostracized by others, your pain matters to God. Jesus can replace your hurt with his love. Maybe your anger is a result of frustration. He can give you peace. The peace of God allows me to be calm in, even in the middle of the storm. We talked about this last week. Maybe your anger is a result of insecurity and fear. He can replace your fears and insecurities with his power. The fact is you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, much less next year or 10 years from now. But you can know that God is always there with you. You know, the verse, once again, going back to the verse that we, we, this whole series is focusing upon is Galatians 5. Verses 22 through 23. And remember what it says again? It says, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives. Now that's a big win. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives. And I told you this. The thing is this. We all have a next step. And I tell you for most of us, this is the step we need to have. Is letting the Holy Spirit control our lives. The first step you need to take is to say yes to Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus. I believe that who you are. I, yes, I'm a sinner. When I I rebel against you. Yes, I need you in my life, and I want, you to, I want to follow you with my life. But once you make that decision in your life, which is the most important decision you will ever make in your life, then the next process that you have, and the next step, steps you're going to take is to do exactly what Galatians 5 tells us. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to control your life. It's a process. And it says when that happens, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. And then it mentions all the ones we're talking about, love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. The point is, when Christ is in my life, I don't have to control it all. I don't have to feel like I've got to hold it all together. I don't have to be perfect. I can relax because he's got it all under control. It's a matter of relaxing and growing and following him. He knows what's best for me. His power replaces my insecurity. Let me close with this. The level of patience you have in your life will be in direct proportion to your relationship with Jesus Christ. The level of patience you have in your life will be in direct proportion to your relationship with Christ because he can give you the power to take these first six steps we talked about. You want to have better relationships? You want to have relationships filled with love and joy, peace and patience and all the next things we're going to talk about the next five weeks? 
Allow God to come into your life first. Then allow his Holy Spirit to begin to control you day to day. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your incredible love. And we pray that you would enable us this day to follow you and do the things that would honor and please you. I praise, God, I praise you, God, for the fact that you love us so much that you sent your son into the world to die for our sins. That means, God, that in a sense, we have to first admit that we need you, God, that we can't do it ourselves. That we have a problem called sin in our life, a rebellion against you, and, and, and what's, what we're doing is not working, or not working the way we'd like for it to. And the only way we can live life to the full, God, is to allow you to come in our life to follow you as Lord and Savior, and then allow your spirit, which you promised to every person who is a follower, allow your spirit to work in our lives, to change us, and to produce in us this fruit, the love that only comes from you, God, the unconditional love, joy that means not just happiness, but, but joy in the midst of the difficulties of life, the ups and downs, peace that passes all understanding, peace in the midst of, of difficulties in life, and patience, uh, the, the ability that when we're irritated and it leads us to anger, to be slow to respond, but, but to respond in a way that makes the relationships better instead of worse. God guide us this morning as we go from this place this, uh, this morning, that we'll not just simply come here, um, listen to some words, uh, hear, hear scripture read, but we'll go and apply it to our lives this week. God, maybe we need to be reminded, so maybe what we need to do is, uh, is learn and reread these verses that we've read this week. Maybe we need to read those two passages in Ephesians and Romans that will allow us to understand who we are in you, God. But those are things that will begin to repattern our thoughts that will lead us to different feelings and different actions. God, thank you for your incredible love and the fact that you send your spirit into our lives when we, we, we follow you to do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that's to have the kind of relationships that you've always wanted us to have, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor in the same way. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.